Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. There is an 11-letter word that is often seen as a four-letter word around here and other places. That is consultants. Cities, provinces, federal governments hire consultants. The federal government, there was a report a couple of weeks ago that said the federal government had spent something like $16 billion in 2022 on consultants. People that are hired, experts who don't work for the government, but are hired to do work for the government. City of Hamilton has had a lot of discussion about this over the years. About uh, five, six years ago, uh, there was a huge auditor report that slapped the city hard for its use of consultants in ways that the auditor didn't feel was appropriate. Well, now, yesterday at a budget meeting, my next guest brought forward a motion looking at the city and how it uses consultants and whether we can do this in a better way that maybe saves some money. And I heard this motion and I applauded this motion. I said, we got to get that counselor on here to talk about it. Uh, he is Ward 11 counselor. Mark Tattison joins us now. Counselor, thanks for this. Hey, no problem, Scott. How are you? I am good. What, tell me where uh, you're. You're a rookie on this council, so you're I not. Am. You're not someone who's been around for years and years, hearing people grinding their teeth when talking about consultants. Where then did this come from for you? Why did you bring this up? Well, you know, I keep my ear to the ground. I keep my eyes open. I saw. I've seen the report from the Auditor General uh, back in 2017, and you know, city staff have made changes and stuff. And and by no means is this motion anything to do like that, where like we're slapping city staff. What I'm doing, what I'm trying to do is, it's a positive step. Counselor initiated. We're trying to look at finding some efficiencies that we're currently not enacting on. Well, and one of the big ones, and, and I'm not going to read the whole motion, people could go online and find it, but one of the big ones here is, are there things that we use consultants for regularly right. that maybe we could actually just hire somebody to be on staff as a salary that in the long run would be cheaper? That seems like a really obvious thing to mention. I'm, I'm, I mean, no insult to you. You brought it up. I'm just amazed no one has thought about this before. <laughs> oh, I'm sure they have. I, I think st- I think staff look at this internally. I'm just raising it because, um, you know, for me, this is the start of a journey. Uh, it's the first step. We want to we we need to know as counselors. We need to have that information. Are there times when we're frequently going to a consultant for the same thing, and how much does that amount to? So if it's so, we go to somebody 15 times in a year, and say that cost is three thousand dollars a time. Well, that's probably not going to be beneficial for us to hire somebody. Um, but if that cost is, you know, in exceeding ten thousand or something, well, then by all means, let's look at that and then and then bring those people aboard. How can we do this? Can we look at well? And the other piece too, not just bringing someone on hiring, looking at is there a bill? Is there an, a way that we could train someone in staff to do that? Pick up that opportunity. We have so many different. Uh, skills on city staff. I'm looking at empowering some of those and, and, and finding, finding synergies in staff. So, so I know we have a, a whole group of experts, like we've got data analysts, we've got economics majors, program coordinators, I don't know, IT specialists, project managers. We've got engineers, we've got scientists, ecologists. We've got a whole bunch of people that have capacity. And I just want to make sure 
that we're tapping into that capacity. So I would love for us in the big picture, long term, be able to look at that, see what are some of these jobs that and, and the needs of these jobs, and then and then look at that and possibly say, is there somebody already on staff that we can do an inter interdepartmental collaboration with that we can just bring them aboard, pull them from their current job, somebody else pick up that job, and then have them support the need? Is that is that a possibility? So that's one of my offerings. The other is training opportunities for staff, and then the other is if something makes sense, let's go outside and possibly higher if necessary, if it makes economical sense. Let's go to that middle one you just said about training opportunities, because I would or I would suggest that most, maybe many, but maybe most private sector companies would offer over the course of time, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, learning opportunities, upgrade opportunities for their staff to specialize in something to be better at it. If you could do that, you have people say, you know, I know that recently, you know, there have been times where people have said, well, surely we have someone on staff who can do that. If it's a micro specialty, surely a training program or something might be able to make someone who's already salaried capable then of doing that thing. Right. And then that would be reallocation of the FTE because again, people are working at their current jobs. Can we bring them aboard? Can we, can, can we divide opportunities for them? Can it, it, it would take a creative look at how staff run and, and how management runs their teams, right? And then, and then the willingness to coordinate between teams, for sure. Um, we do all sorts of uh, PD, professional development. Um, I'm not talking about that. Like, like there's a situation, my, my emotion basically envelops a whole concept. And, 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 then, and it's asking staff to dig down and look at, I know, are there certain things? Like, Councillor Kretsch brought forth a motion yesterday, and it's all about... We have we run all these special events, probably 400 special events uh, inside the city. You know, we have fairs, we have uh, things where we're closing roads down and so forth. How many times do we close down the roads? And every time we close down a road, do we need to hire a consultant? Somebody draws up a, a, a sketch. They say, okay, we need men here. We need to do this. We need to, um, you know, have a police officer here. We need staff over here. Somebody does that. Why can't, if we're doing that up to 400 times a year, I'm not sure exactly how many times we close roads, but why can't we train our staff? We actually have um, a, a team called the Special Events Advisory Team. Why can't we have them, you know, look at the ability? And so Councillor Kretsch is diving deep into that. And, and once we went into that, we found this is a very complicated process. So, so my motion is kind of the overlaying motion. His motion kind of is a subset of my motion where he's digging down and we've worked with the staff to kind of isolate this and, and look at it. It's basically, um, he calls it basically, um, his, it's the internal facilitation of special events. And so, and so I'm always about empowering and what would I say? Empowering staff and enabling staff and, and creating capacity, he's calling it internal facilitation. So, so in a specific sense, I'm asking staff to look for other opportunities like road closings that maybe we can turn that internally. And, uh, and if we can find more of those, then, then we just might, and then we do the analysis and find, hey, it's better to keep it in-house than by all means do it. Uh, you know what, as I say, um, maybe lots of other people have thought about it before, but clearly 
No one else has raised it before. This met with great uh, favor on council, unanimously approved. So obviously there is backing for something like this. I, mm-hmm. Again, I think it's terrific that someone has brought this up and let's take a look because this has been an issue that has been talked about and complained about for years in the city and good for you for bringing it up. I, I applaud you for doing it because I think a lot of people want to know if this can actually be improved. So uh, good thing. Okay. Well, thanks, Scott. And uh, I just wanted to say, you start off consultants, a four-letter word. Hey, they actually pay, play a very valuable part in, in, in the operations of the city. And there are lots of places where we need consultants. I've got a major trunk line going through Glanbrook from the Airport Employment Growth District all the way over to 56. And we've got a consultant there. They help me, you know, they help me with so many things. They troubleshoot, they anticipate, they prepare. They, they came to meetings with me for the community. They answered all kinds of specific questions from the community. So there is a place for consultants. And I'm not saying like, hey, consultants, consultants, consultants are bad. We need them. We need them to run efficiently. Sometimes they are the best choice for staff. But let's look and uh, do a deeper dive and see if we can find some efficiencies and hire in-house. No, 100%. And yes, you're absolutely right. We do need consultants at times. Uh, the the, the four-letter word part is, again, goes back to times in the past when there have been questions about how much we need or how many we need. But again, uh, good for you for bringing this up. That is Mark Tattison, Ward 11 Counselor. Thanks for doing this. Thanks a lot, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Don't know if you've heard this story in the last week or two. There have been a ton, apparently, of porn videos that have flooded the internet involving Taylor Swift. Now, when I say involving Taylor Swift, let's be clear, they don't really involve Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift was not performing in any of these, but her face and some, I guess, expected representation of her body are on the screen. And this is all now the result of artificial intelligence and something called deep fakes. We've talked about deep fakes on the show before. It is a, it's an ability now that with computer programs that are accessible, not just to Hollywood studios, to the average person, you can create videos that look so believable, so plausible that most people, if they see this, will think what they're seeing is what their eyes think they're seeing, if you get my drift, but they are not. Question is, what do we do now? Well, because it's Taylor Swift, There are some politicians in the States, you know, and maybe it's a good thing that it's Taylor Swift now because someone in her position gets attention, but some politicians are now saying, we got to do something about this. Where have you been for the last years? Let me bring in Carmi Levy. He is a journalist. He is a tech analyst. He's a guy who we, uh, we turn to to talk about stuff like this. Carmi, how are you today? I am well. Great to be here with you today, Scott. Well, you as well. And this thing, as I say, I wish it wasn't a porn thing that we're launching into this, but I mm-hmm. think that's probably hardly surprising because deep fakes, you knew that that was where this was going eventually, if not sooner, right? Yeah, eventually it descends to the basements, and I think this was inevitable. And we were kind of waiting for that moment where deepfakes would leapfrog from the world of tech and AI uh, into the world of mainstream news. And it took the world's biggest pop star to make that happen. And so as 
odious as this event is, uh, it has finally forced our attention uh, onto the issue of deepfakes, the existential threat that they pose, uh, because uh, as they continue to spread in scale and scope, and as you mentioned, the quality, the fidelity continues to get better almost by the day, seemingly to the point that even if we lean in, we won't be able to tell the difference between real and not real. Uh, it messes with our ability to determine uh, whether something is legit or not. And that is a problem. We, we talk about the post-truth society. Uh, this, is, this is where it's all about, where you see something and it could very well be generated by AI. And even if you lean in, you wouldn't know. That is a terrifying proposition uh, because it opens the door to all sorts of abuses from all sorts of sources. And we're only just beginning to get a sense of it. Today, it was Taylor Swift. Next time, it could be the election. Uh, it could be something well, else yeah. where people are making decisions about the future and where this is going to end up. Wow. This, this keeps me up at night, Scott. Well, we have always been told and been able when someone says, you know, okay, you know, if you believe your eyes, if, if you see it, you can believe it. Well, now we can't now, now yeah. that's something that, you know, if you no longer can believe what you see, what have we got left to lean on to actually believe is actually true? Exactly. Uh, and and we've sort of had time to prepare for this because Photoshop, of course, has been around for a generation. Uh, and, and, and you've needed to be an expert in doctoring a photo using the features in Photoshop. And in many cases, people are not. And so you can kind of tell when something has been Photoshopped. You can sort of see the artifacts right around the fringes. You know what to look for. Uh, but, you know, the thing with deepfakes, with image generators, with audio generators, because it works with sound as well, that that audio clip of President Biden telling people they didn't have to vote in the New Hampshire primary was a deepfake as well. Just it used audio cloning instead of video cloning. But it's the same sort of basis, the same similar technology. Uh, and so now you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to have years of experience with Photoshop or the AI equivalent. You just download the tool from the web or in some cases, the dark web costs you a few bucks. Uh, and uh, and you just run, you, you train it on the person that you want to target. So go find a Taylor Swift video uh, or a video or an audio clip of your, you know, your favorite or least favorite politician, run it through the tool, and then you can put words or images in that person's persona to your heart's content and it'll look amazing. And so it does, it lowers the bar. It opens it up to pretty much anyone who knows how to use a computer. Uh, and it essentially, it opens up a flood of this questionable content to the point that we can no longer believe what we see, what we hear, what we consume. And we have to build new skills to figure out how to filter this stuff because when most of what we see and hear is potentially not true, we've got to figure out new ways of navigating it. Well, okay, there's so many things. Uh, you mentioned the phrase existential threat a few seconds ago, and mm -hmm. some people might say, okay, come on, this is just pictures of Taylor Swift. Okay, it's not just video of Taylor Swift. E even if we were going to say that was the case, it's probably not just naked pictures or naked videos of someone when it's now your wife, your daughter, your sister, your granddaughter, when someone decides to do this to someone in their class at school because they have to technology, that's no longer just Taylor Swift. Now it's, exactly. a, it's a huge problem mm -hmm. because again, people believe what they see. And now you would have to convince someone 
that what they saw was not what they saw. That's a hard thing to, so now that person's reputation, if you're not Taylor Swift with the massive resources that you have to make this case, your reputation is gone. That's exactly it. We're talking about this because of Taylor Swift, which is a good thing. It's it's sort of forcing us to shine the light on it. But let's be clear, potential victimology is not limited to the celebrity set or to politicians or to people that we know. It affects all of us. Think about revenge porn, where uh, you know a, 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 an ex partner decides to take it out on on someone, be, be, you know, because they were wronged, and now uh, they perceive they were wronged, and now they create this this odious content that ruins their reputation. They send it to their employer. People can potentially lose their jobs. Online bullying could lead to mental health impacts up to and including suicide. Uh, I mean, these are very real crimes with very real impacts on very real people, including you and me. And that's the scary thing. When somebody wants to weaponize assets using artificial intelligence and create deepfakes that are specifically targeted to harm, uh, the damage they can cause is incalculable. And what happens if, for example, my employer gets a hold of content that puts me in a bad light and they, they take it as real? And you know, by the time I've had a chance to have a conversation with them, I've lost my job. That can happen. It probably already has happened and it will happen with increasing frequency and worse. And uh, there are no laws on the books right now to protect us against that or to hold people who would do this kind of thing accountable. Let's flip it the other way for a second. We're going to come back, but let's flip it the other way for a second. There are video cameras everywhere in our society now. And they have a purpose at times. We've had many crimes that have been solved because something was caught on video. But now if you take a video to court and say, I just saw Carmi pull a gun on someone, it was caught on, I know you wouldn't, but you know what I'm saying. And, <laughs> yeah. But it was caught on video. This is proof that he was the shooter. Now I expect that every single defense lawyer is going to say, yeah, it shows that. But that video is not real. That's a deep fake. You can't trust that. And so now you're on the jury. How, what, down the road, as we get more and more familiar with the fact that deep fakes are out there, how could you possibly convict someone or believe what you're seeing? Yeah, we are in an absolutely new world here where anybody can essentially use the, well, it was probably a deep fake excuse to get off, uh, even if it was legitimate. So it cuts both ways. Uh, and it means that we have a greater, a greater accountability now to ensure that we have signatures, verification that this content is legit, has not been modified. And so, for example, with a lot of photos for years, uh, if you're using a photo or submitting it for commercial use, you have to prove that it is the original or that the only edits that were made to it, you have to show the genealogy of the edits so so that the you know, we just adjusted the lighting but we didn't make significant changes to it it wasn't photographed photoshopped to within inches of its life uh, we have to arrive at the same thing with deepfakes to sort of show the history of this asset to prove that it is in fact legitimate it has not been modified or synthetically created we need better signatures we need better signing of those assets and we need the industry to come up with standards secure standards uh, so that when you and i encounter uh, a piece of audio or a video clip or an image online that we can very easily look it up and say, ah, okay, that is in fact legit. So that if it does show up in a, a court case or something like that, that we don't have this sort of wishy-washy, no, it's probably a deep fake. It can be very quickly ascertained. This is legitimate, but that stuff over there, that is not. Does so that, we still have that ability to differentiate truth from untruth. Does that technology exist, Carmi? Can 
people, are there IT people who can disassemble or dig into the file to find mm-hmm. out that it is I, that it is deep fake? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, there are ways and there, there are techniques, there are forensic techniques that you can kind of dig into sort of the, the history of it. Uh, granted, uh, an opportunistic criminal could probably cover their tracks uh, and make it harder for it. But, you know, ask a, ask a member of the cybersecurity team in on a, any police force, and it's a, it's a cat and mouse game, but the tools are out there. The challenge here is ensuring that the industry works together to make sure that they're standardized and that they're built into every smartphone, every operating system, every laptop, every network, so that we can all trust that what we're seeing is real. Same thing when, you know, when we're at the, the you know the gas station and we're fueling our car and we we tap our card to make sure that we can pay there are standards that ensure that it's done in a secure manner we need the same thing for imagery to ensure that deep fakes don't creep into it and that takes discussion and cooperation the industry industry is going to have to figure it out it's probably going to cost them which means it'll probably cost us as well up front but i'd rather pay that price than have to deal with the fallout of deep fakes spreading unchecked Okay, so let me go back to my example of the illegal uh, bad guy, Carmi, who's running around, <laughs> your evil twin brother who commits a crime, mm-hmm. except you didn't commit a crime. Now there is a deep fake, but by the time, once that's shown, everybody now believes that Carmi did that, but by the time it can be taken apart and there's an expert who can say, ah, you know what, I have real doubts about the veracity of this tape. By that time, it doesn't matter because everyone's made up their mind and there will be many people who go, oh, sure, they found, quote, an expert. You know, sure, they found the expert, but we saw, we saw. Again, once this is seen, people make assumptions, they come to conclusions, they, they believe what they see. I don't know how you undo these things. Yeah. You've already been convicted in the court of public opinion. And we saw that in play with the Taylor Swift event that the content spread so quickly, primarily across X, hundreds of millions of views within hours and X kept it up for 17 hours before removing it from the platform. So, you know, I think we need, first of all, we need social media because social media plays a, an accelerative role. It's bad enough the deep fakes exist. Social media takes it and makes it super easy and efficient to share with a broad global audience. Well, if social media changes the way it operates and if they become more responsible with better legislation that holds them responsible and punishes them if they, if they aren't, well, then we can slow that down so that X wouldn't keep it up for 17 hours. It wouldn't contribute, the, you know, wouldn't throw fuel on the fire to make it go viral. Uh, and it would ensure that content like this does not find an audience as it does today. So we need we need better signatures. We need better standards from the technology uh, industry. But we also need uh, better standards, better rules, and better legislation around the social media industry so that it can't put fuel on the fire and that it can't contribute to this. Because you're right, once it's out there, once Pandora's box is open, it's not going back in. All right, we're going to get to what can happen, what can be done. But one more thing about this, because there is an American election, a U.S. presidential election coming up this year. This year or next, there will be a Canadian elect federal election. And I will be shocked. I will be truly shocked if we do not have some issue with deep fake or not with some video at some point involving one of the leading candidates And it could very easily be that someone decides to put Justin Trudeau in a place that he wasn't to make Mm -hmm. him look bad or Pierre Polyev or Joe Biden or Donald Trump. It's very easy to put, uh, to create something or to imagine someone creating something in which one of these candidates says something horrendously racist or offensive in some other way. 
And that can change in an election. Very much so. We saw that with that audio clip, the deepfake audio clip of uh, Joe Biden saying, don't don't come to the election. Don't vote in New Hampshire. We need your we need your vote for the presidential election, which, of course, was a lie. But it got out. And did that sway some voters in the primary? Quite possibly. So it's already happening. Uh, and and we'd be naive to think it isn't happening north of the border as well. And uh, the Communication Security Establishment, the CSC, which is our national cybersecurity agency, they have warned that our election is at risk uh, from this technology and from opportunistic nation states like China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, sort of the big four uh, that are, are known to use this technology for this end to meddle in foreign elections in Canada's is no exception, especially given our recent history with these countries. So uh, we know that it's happening and troublingly so uh, the CSE says that it doesn't have the resources to ensure that we remain completely immune or safe from this. And that's what's terrifying here is we know the threat landscape is, is worsening. We know that elections will be targeted and we don't have the resources in place in Canada to protect ourselves. And that is uh, that's sort of one of those moments where you sort of have to pause and go, we need to do better. We need to change the conversation because with if we maintain the status quo next election, it'll be bad. Every every election after that, it'll be even worse. So what do we do? I mean, what what's the answer to this then? Well, first thing is from a policy perspective, we start leaning on our, our elected officials at all levels of government, but particularly federal, because we need federal legislation that applies across the land, not piecemeal legislation that applies only in one province or another, uh, for them to prioritize this. It's one thing for them to say it's a problem. It's another thing to say, hey, this is going to go on to the top of the legislative docket. These are the first bills that we're going to pass, and these are the first laws that we have to get in place. So A, we need we need legislation, we need it fast, and we need, need our, our MPs to you know, start making that happen and impress upon them when they come looking for your vote that if they can't promise that they're not getting your vote um and then two i think we as citizens need to recognize we can't afford to wait for this kind of legislation in order to protect ourselves and so we have to adapt our behaviors to be more resistant to the risks posed by deep fakes and so we need to lean in we need to and it will be it will get harder over time to tell the difference between legit and not legit but we still have to make the effort and then we'll have to shift our behaviors on social media that when just because we see something and it gets us by the emotional sort of sort of, you know, sort of trigger uh, doesn't mean that we have to go and share it. We have to really apply new filters and new rules to ourselves to stop ourselves from sharing content until we've had a chance to confirm its origins. Mm. So we need to become better researchers to say, okay, I, I see this. It looks like Justin Trudeau is doing something really iffy. Can I confirm that I know where it comes from, that I trust the source? And if the answer isn't yes, you shouldn't be sharing it. You should be reporting it. And yet... And, and I agree with you 1000%. We talk about this with ridiculous stories, forget deep fakes, yeah. ridiculous people, for whatever reason, people seem unwilling to put that extra five seconds of effort into mm-hmm. it. I mean, I can't tell you how many times someone that I know has reposted something on Facebook with a story that is ludicrous and it takes literally five to 10 seconds to do a search and find out that's insane. And yep. yet... They repost it believing it's real. If they're not going to do it for that, they're not going to do it for something like that's even more convincing like a video. You're absolutely right. And, and I think that's why we, you know, we need to change the way we interact with those individuals. I, I used to just sigh and walk away. Uh, and now I will actually reach out to them. Um, and I will actually share resources with them on what those best practices are and why the behavior that I'm witnessing exposes them to additional risk, uh, particularly with uh, members of my friend group who are what I like to call the repeat offenders. They keep doing the same thing over and over. Uh, you know, eventually, uh, you know, I'll, I'll warn, I'll warn, I'll warn. And then 
eventually I'll cut them out of my network entirely. Um, and as their networks shrink, their ability to, to influence and to spread this kind of content is reduced as well. And so we can do it as individuals. And I think we need to lean on uh, big tech companies uh, to change their policies so that individuals who behave in this way are also uh, sort of de prioritized on the platform that their ability to operate within their networks is reduced again it's shared accountability government big tech individuals we all have a role to play uh, and we can't just sort of turn around in frustration and say well there's nothing i can do actually as it turns out there's plenty that we can do yeah we got to run but you know, here's the, here is the other problem that i see in this one and uh, thank goodness in a sense and not for her and i'm not trying to be picking on her it's not it, thank <laughs> goodness it's taylor swift because if this was not Taylor Swift. If this was Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Justin Trudeau or Pierre Polyev or Jagmeet Singh saying something that we learned was a deep fake, we would probably get their party really interested in doing something about this. I don't know how motivated the other party would be to do something about this, though. It just, it seems as though it, it almost can't be at first a politician who has this happen to them if we want to have some sort of universal across the board buy-in that there's a problem here. Yeah, in my ideal world, uh, every politician of every stripe, wherever they happen to be on the spectrum, realizes that we are all at risk and yeah. that we all go down if one of us you know, goes down, gets targeted successfully, uh, and none of us no matter what our political beliefs can afford for this to to be maintained we all have to pull together and do something or uh, you know what we saw with Taylor Swift that is going to just be the beginning that is Carmi Levy always love having you on Carmi thanks for doing this today really appreciate being here Scott thanks the Scott Radley show weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML the Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.